Hey guys, it's Holly and Laura here. And before we jump into the episode, we wanted to let you know of something that we're doing next week, the 5th of January. It's Tuesday evening at 5.30 p.m. Pacific and 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, which is an Ask Us Anything or an Ask Me Anything with the both of us. And yay. <laughs> yay. Um, the idea is just to give you guys, it's about it. We're going to do it for about an hour. And the idea is just to give you guys a chance to get on and ask any sort of questions that you want to have answered. It's an experiment. We're doing it in an effort to promote the last spots that are in Hip Sobriety School. They're still available by then, but also just as something for you guys in order to interact with us um, a little bit more. So the call is not going to be recorded. Um, it's going to be for one hour, and we're using uh, GoToWebinar, which means that you guys won't be able to see who each other are. You won't be able to chat with each other. You will be able to raise your hand and ask questions live, uh, which everyone will hear. Or you can submit questions in a little box that's available in the software. So it's only available to 500. There's only 500 seats available, which <laughs> is laughable. Um, but just just so you guys know, if there's 501 of you, <laughs> anyway. that's that first. Yeah. Hey, we could maybe we could maybe have a fun 500 person party. Yeah, maybe. Um, no, but I'm excited about it. Nothing is. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you guys can ask whatever you want. I'm not sure we'll be able to answer it, but um, we're gonna try. And yeah. And the questions can be about anything um, sobriety related, anything that we talk about on the podcast, anything that we haven't talked about that you wish we have. They could be questions about hip sobriety school. They could be questions about uh, anything, really, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. anything. So, anything. You could ask Holly what she's wearing. You could ask me what you never want to know like. what I'm wearing. Um, yeah, no, I'm really excited about it. And so the details are, you. we're going to be posting this on our websites, we're going to be posting on Instagram and Facebook, um, but you can sign up now just by going to www.hipsobriety.com forward slash AMA. So it's my website, hipsobriety.com forward slash AMA. And all as you need in, to do, huh? As, in, as AMA, as in, ask me anything. Ask me anything. Ask me anything. AUA sounds weird because um, it's us. But um, yeah, so I'm excited about it. All you do is go to that website. You pop in your email address the day of on the on the 5th of January. We'll send you out details, call in details. Again, it's not going to be recorded. So if it doesn't work in your time zone, um, huge apologies to that. We'll be, you know, if it goes well, we'll, we'll do this again because I think it's kind of fun. Yeah, um, it is fun. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to say about it. And I can't remember, of course. I have total holiday brain. Um, if it comes to me, uh, before we close this up, I'll let you know. But yeah, it'll be published everywhere um, on Facebook, Instagram, my website, Holly's website. So there will be a link available. Uh, it's Again, it can be as anonymous as you want, which I think is important uh, when you're asking the questions or not. Um, yeah. 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 Yes. We won't be saying names. All right. So anyway, all right, enjoy the podcast that we have coming up uh, on nutrition with Mary Vance and mm -hmm. have a really safe and happy new year. Awa. There is hope for us yet. We are young, we are wet. I am Laura McCallum no and I am Holly Whitaker and I'm Mary Vance. No, you've got to say it. This is home podcast. <gasps> this is home <laughs> podcast. Thank hey, you. Hey. So, um, who's Mary Vance? All right. So, Mary Vance is here joining us today on the podcast. Um, and Mary is a nutritional consultant who runs the blog MaryVanceNC.com. Um, Mary's, so Mary's work is something that I, it's, it's, she's basically my go-to in terms of understanding how nutrition impacts not only sobriety, but also really impacts, um, those of us, like our demographic, I guess, you know, um, stressed out women. Um, she really like digs into really interesting topics like, um, paleo diet or like how our, um, you know, how to replenish our neurochemicals or how to deal with depression or how to deal with anxiety or whether or not dairy is good or bad for you or 
coffee or I mean all sorts of things she really you know is the real deal in terms of understanding the questions that I think real people have about how to manage their lifestyles as best as possible using nutrition and lifestyle modifications and so I love Mary's work because she does all the stuff that I'm not necessarily interested like I'm I'm spiritual Mary's Mary's physical and so she's a really great compliment to um, a lot of the stuff that I do on my blog that that I personally am not interested in and um, I mean no offense but, I, but, I love her work but you know but you know is important <laughs> but I know is important yeah I was telling Mary last night I want her to just come and live with me and just like do my grocery shopping and tell oh me like <laughs> what lotions to use and how to no poo and um... <laughs> really not a bad idea I love that as a business model I do too I do too yeah you can split time between me and Holly <laughs> perfect perfect yeah so we're no I I and I want to just add in my yeah. because you guys have obviously worked together more closely but um but I have followed Mary's work too and she she um did a course in the hip sobriety school last year and I nutrition is one of those things that I know is um a huge huge uh question for so many people that that listen and that um, we talk to on you know our blogs and and social media and, and stuff and it especially uh, for me it is one of those things that I know impacts my well being um, just as much as exercise or or anything else um, but I get totally overwhelmed by it and so I know a few basic things but I don't really really understand it and so we. We're super excited to have Mary on because we we get more questions. I I know at least half the questions and and um, emails and stuff that I get have some element of food in them. You know, food issues, food food questions, nutrition questions, and so I think for for our audience, this is like a big big one. Yeah, thanks, ladies, for having me on. I love talking about this stuff too, and. There, you know, there are so many intricate issues in the way that people who are in recovery or who've had issues with addiction or substance abuse in the past, there are so many complex, as Holly said, even neurochemical issues and hormonal issues and blood sugar issues. And, and so, you know, I want to keep it as simple as possible. And, you know, like I said, I really love talking about this stuff and could go on for hours, but I'll try to uh, be succinct and brief <laughs> so can you can you give us a little bit of your background like the yeah know, the, the about me yeah the about uh, you so you know on my site there's a lot of information that you can read about in my bio but the the short story is that I grew up on a farm raising and training show horses and animals have always been a really big part of my life and I went to an animal rights workshop when I was 15 and was absolutely horrified by the deplorable conditions of factory farming. And so I swore that I was going to be a vegetarian. I gave up meat right then and there. Mm -hmm. So I basically subsisted on rice and ramen noodles for, you know, because that was vegetarian. And yeah. <laughs> I, be I became severely anemic. And wow. that was the first time that I actually really connected how the status of your health is dictated by what you eat. And I really put it together and I started just reading everything I could about how to be a healthy vegetarian. And, and I've always kind of been interested in holistic healing, like with my animals and, and myself. So I started doing all this research and, uh, and I was a vegetarian for 13 years and I decided to go to school and make nutrition my career. And I've always been interested in women's health. So I kind of blended all of those aspects uh, in health and healing, and and that's kind of how I became interested in this work, and it continues to evolve. Awesome. And yeah. I should add also, you know, I have a, a history in my family of addiction and have struggled with it myself, and so, you know, and part of women's health, obviously, is not just hormones, but there's a huge emotional component. And with women, you deal with more emotional issues around food and addiction, and they're all so heavily related. And so wow. I, you know, I was lucky to, along the way, collect some mentors who have a really strong background in disordered eating and addictions and nutrition and physiology. And you know, when I was first studying this and actually studying the relationship between physiology and addiction like 10 years ago, I think Joan Matthews Larson was the only woman who was really talking about this. There wasn't 
a really strong representation in recovery models for physiology and the emotional components were covered in the support group, but we weren't really looking at the physiological reasons why people are drawn to alcohol or drugs or even food, you know, to mitigate these feelings, these biochemical feelings and physical issues that are coming up. So that really struck me that that is a really underrepresented part of the recovery model. Yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, it's like one of those things where I subsisted and and you and I've talked about this. I mean, I've subsisted completely on um, pastry for a while and coffee and just like because I was so wrapped up in the spiritual side of things and so wrapped up in the meditation practice and the yoga um, that I discounted. I I mean, I did amino acid therapy. I do have to say I did that really early on because I got super wrapped up into sugar. But then once I broke that like sugar compulsion, um, even though I was still eating sugar, I just didn't give it that much of a thought. And then last year, around earlier this past year, actually, um, Mary and I were talking, and I was just telling her what was going on with me. My back was like broken out completely. I like I was covered in zits on my back, and I was not able to pull myself out of bed in the morning. And I had lost that like um, spark that I had gotten when I'd first stopped drinking, and I was just I just was dragging ass, and I wasn't happy. And she and I talked about you know kind of what my diet was, and it really became you know evident at that time that. Um, that I had done all the work I could do. I was doing all the work I could do on one side, but if I wasn't addressing the nutritional aspects of it um, and the lifestyle components, like getting enough sleep, um, that I was I was stunting my I was stunting my own evolution and recovery. And so, yeah, yeah, and and well, you know what I was thinking when you were saying that is I wish that you would come over to my house and be my meditation guru. I know. Well, let's just live together and you can feed me and I'll meditate with you. (laughs) She'll meditate you. Uh. I feel like we all attach ourselves to this one component that we know is helping us. But this whole holistic model, you know, and this is something that I like about hip sobriety school too. This whole holistic model is not just, okay, we're going to focus on this one. You know, everybody is, I feel, drawn to one aspect of something in recovery that really helps get them through. But, um, and you know, Holly, for you, that's meditation. For Laura, maybe that's writing. For me, obviously, I'm really fascinated with the physiology behind it. But I really, you know, my hope for the future in this model is that all of these areas are represented and everybody, you know, becomes familiar with um, with a little part of each of it. I think it's wonderful. Very well put. Yeah, totally well put. Can I, we, I don't know if we were planning on this, but I know it's something that, that I want to know and that everyone wants to know and we can either do it now or as we, I know there are some stuff that we know we want to cover, but for what happens, you know, I want to talk about early sobriety and sort of the initial, um, ways that you can support that, that, we can support ourselves, those of us who are newly sober, getting sober, just quitting um, nutritionally. And I know that's a big question. <laughs> sure. Well, I think Mary's going to get into like the, so the way that we set this up. So we're going to talk first about vaginal steaming. And then- <laughs> oh, right. First and most importantly, God, yes. how could I jump ahead? Thank you. And then next, we're going to talk about coffee. Um, and then third, we're going to talk about vegan versus vegetarianism versus paleo. Um, and, and like picking the right diet. And then I think the last thing Mary's going to leave us with is, is the three, like three good, or I don't know, however many you came up with, but just good resolutions in order to support sobriety, which I do think, um, we'll get into that. Um, okay, good. I just, I knew we were going to cover that. I just want to make sure we do like, I know because you've talked about it, Mary, ways you can support early sobriety Yeah, and sort of the drop or the, the, the whatever you would call it that happens when you take alcohol out and how you can support you sure. know, support that early part that is so so hard so first question um <laughs> last night mary and i were talking on the phone i don't know how we got into this um uh, <laughs> oh i know because mary was telling me she's giving me shit for using a tampon and she's been trying to get me to use cups um oh. I know, I I know, I know. Um, And then she said something about how I needed to do vaginal steaming. So can you just, I'm sorry, I have to say, what what is vaginal steaming and should we be doing it? Every guy who ever listened to this just Just stopped. stopped. To be clear, I did not say you should do vaginal steaming. Gwyneth Paltrow does it and I really don't recommend that anyone take lifestyle advice from Gwyneth Paltrow. But, But the fact is, is it's kind of fascinating because you... 
uh, you squat over a steaming pot of herbs over your yoni, because, you know, in the Ayurvedic <laughs> tradition, they call it your yoni. So the idea is that these herbs infuse your uterus and your vaginal walls with these, you know, the steam coming off from these herbs. And it's supposed to ease cramps and balance your hormones and, you know, make you more vaginally aware. I don't know. But, <laughs> oh but it's like, I feel like it's not really... You know, and I, trust me, you guys, I'm like totally into the holistic model, but I also look at the science behind things. And the funny thing to me is how could it balance your hormones? Like there's no hormones produced in your uterus or your vagina, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but I get that. I mean, you, you're supposed to be able to absorb, you know, the herbs and perhaps they then, you know, have a hormone balancing effect, whatever. But, um, but on the one camp says, oh, it's amazing. It'll, you know, ease cramps, whatever. And the gynecological science camp says, well, you could actually burn the inside of your vaginal <laughs> walls and that wouldn't be very good. So you could burn the yoni. Well, anyway. Oh God. I wish you could see me right now because I just have my <laughs> my hand over my eyes just going, what do I ask next? Holy shit. <gasps> no, I mean, so she posted this. She's like, she's, I think Gwyneth Paltrow suggested that people do this. Um, is that right? Like, she un yeah, un on her on the goop. Yeah. And she got a pretty <laughs> flogged for it, I think. Uh, <sighs> I mean, whatever. I'm up for anything. There's nothing. I'm yeah. Not, right? I'm not covering my eyes because it embarrasses me or something. It's just funny because I, one picture squatting over her is extremely tiring. <laughs> what will they think of next? Uh, and yeah, who has time to squat over herbs? I don't have time to squat over herbs. No. But I will say the menstrual cup is amazing, FYI. So, okay, we can I'll ask you about that later. All okay. right. So, getting on to the actual like topics at hand. So, okay, so the first thing we want to talk about is coffee. And I love this. I we really didn't go over what questions we would ask, but I think, you know, the question that I would want to know and and I do know. I mean, I'm always fretting over my coffee and I last year Around Christmas, right before Christmas, I actually gave it up, and then I spent a week in cold depression, and then um, came home and like went through the holidays without coffee, and then I actually made it really far, and then I was on vacation months later and with my family, and I just I was I couldn't I was dragging ass, and this is around the time Mary and I actually started talking, um, and I started drinking it again, and so my you know I tried to eliminate it because. I am I mean clearly addicted to coffee. I'm and and when everyone when people say they're addicted to coffee, I think there are levels and then there's me. Oh and yeah, you're you're like the master <laughs> the master addiction. I've uh, never seen anything like it. Right. So I'm just wondering, you know, do where where does that fall in? Like tell us about coffee. How much love, should we be drinking? Love talking about coffee. I know. So uh, how bad like, is it really? Are do you, are you going to tell me not to drink coffee? No, it's one of my favorite topics because here's the thing is we're, we keep seeing all these studies that link drinking coffee with reduced risk of disease, obesity, diabetes, Parkinson's, whatever. But here's what we now know. And, and the thing, I have a couple of, of course, caveats about coffee, but we now discovered that there are 50%, basically 50% of people are able to metabolize coffee really well. And... They, because they contain more of this enzyme in the liver that basically breaks caffeine down. And so they're kind of fast metabolizers is what these studies are saying. For this, and that's about 50% of the population. So then for slow metabolizers, the other 50% who don't metabolize caffeine well or who may not you know, have enough of this particular enzyme, they are drinking coffee for them is associated with higher risk of like heart disease and hypertension and, and high blood sugar so it, you don't really know if you're a, a fast or a slow metabolizer unless you do like genetic testing. But I think that just from my own kind of research in this area, I think you know, like like Holly, for instance, you basically can drink coffee all day and then go to sleep and it doesn't really yeah. affect you. That means you probably are breaking down caffeine well. But people like me, if I drink a cup of coffee, I will have like a full on panic attack. So and, and really? I love, even I one. Love one cup of coffee will absolutely give me a panic attack. So wow. yeah, I, and I, I love it too. I mean, it's delicious, but I, what I'll do is I'll get one of those like stump town cold brews and I'll one bottle will last me for like five days. Cause I'll pour oh. a tablespoon in and then pour almond milk in. I'll take two sips and be like, Oh, it's so delicious. But if I have any more than that, I am absolutely bonkers. 
Yeah, it doesn't really. I mean, it it, it I I can feel it in my energy. Like I know when I'm spiked and I know when it drops, but it doesn't undo me the way it. But and there and to be honest, there were points in my life where it did give me panic attacks. When I was in my early twenties, I had seer, severe panic attacks and like almost agoraphobia, and I couldn't have caffeine. I couldn't even have yeah. um, tea with yeah. caffeine in it. Um, but that's that's not the case anymore. When I was in Italy, I would every morning I would make I would make an espresso in my apartment. I would go and I would have like three to four cappuccinos first thing, and then literally I would stop at every cafe along the way and get a macchiato. And then night at dinner, I would always like every every person in every restaurant was appalled with me because I'd have a cappuccino before I ate my food. And like it just yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really. Um, and then I can go to and then I go right to bed. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, doesn't mess with my sleep patterns. Well, and so the, my caveat, you know, so basically, you know, what the long and the short of it is, is that 50% of people, you know, are fine with coffee and, and absolutely do have the reduced disease risk and, and can reap the benefits from it. And these other 50% probably don't. But the other thing, you know, my caveat is that, and this is, you know, obviously common with people in recovery is that, you know, there's this addiction transfer where you don't have a substance and your body is kind of like seeking homeostasis and seeking outside substances for you to plug up these feel-good receptors in your brain that you may not be making enough of, you know, intrinsically. So, I mean, and people will, you know, go to sugar or go to coffee. So the thing is, you know, I don't want people to be addicted to anything. And so I tell everyone, you know, if you have this kind of like desperate relationship with coffee, at least try to cut it out and there and believe me do not quit cold turkey because then you know you you want to like murder people go, go on a murdering spree but is it is it like is it is the coffee thing um like a like alcohol where some people just shouldn't have it at all because it's it's a, an addictive relationship so to say or is there is there like a moderation aspect because for me I I'm somewhere in between the two of you if I, I can have one one and a half maybe two cups past that I feel like depressed oh, wow. <laughs> and yeah. and really anxious I mean I feel like sure. throwing up and I have I have even last week I overshot the mark and I threw up at my office because I had I had too much and it's like a matter of not you know it's a matter of a few ounces that pushes me over yeah but I don't you know but I don't have this after that and for the rest of the day I'm done like I don't think about coffee I don't need it I don't you know so I don't I'm well, curious I can, about that. I can speak to this just from personal experience I mean I know like I definitely have an addictive relationship with it I know that like there's something it's beyond the coffee that's there which is that I have this like um, I don't feel whole if I don't have a cup of coffee like there's something mm. missing and I reach for it which is why I wrote which is why I quit it in the first place which is why I wrote a post on it which is why I go back and forth in the guilt trap with it because I there's a freak there's this thing known as like frequency of addiction and it is it just it's like it's a another channel it's it's the same way I was using sugar before and I was like walk I mean I literally was you know going to convenience stores and throwing you know bags of Haribo in my purse and I wasn't right if I didn't have sugar and it's the same thing with it still is the same thing with coffee and I know for me personally I do know it's not healthy for me I know my relationship with coffee even though like it might be fine or not fine nutritionally I do know that it's firing up a part of my brain that is increasing my addictive tendencies and so it's not and that it's it's not that's not healthy and exactly as Mary said Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be addicted to any like she wants everyone to not be addicted to something right it's like one of those things where I feel um it's it's not healthy for me just on how I function in life not on not on a physiological level if that yeah is that right Mary yeah and and to answer Laura's question earlier I you know it's it's really difficult the research on coffee is not super clear but in terms of who should never drink coffee, I think that anyone who is struggling with panic attacks, anxiety, or insomnia currently should avoid coffee. And that may not be you for the rest of your life. You know, you can, but it, as you were saying, Holly, it does, you know, light up these areas of the brain that can push you over into overdrive and, you know, and it increases adrenaline and blood sugar and cortisol and all of these kind of neurotransmitters that get everything firing. So, you know, the the bottom line is, like Laura was saying, if you want coffee a couple times a week and it's not affecting the way you function, great. And I don't want to rob, you know, every, anyone's life of joy, you know, once they I feel like they've worked so hard to get into sobriety. But 
but I think, you know, everyone should try a period without it, you know, 30 days and then reintroduce it. And that's kind of, you know, a lot, uh, it, that's a good way to figure out how your body responds to any food or, or drink or beverage, you know, just wean off of it, see how, get a, get a baseline, how you're feeling without it. And if you are just absolutely dragging through the day or you can't function without it, that means that you're using it to mask other underlying problems like yeah. hormone imbalance, adrenal fatigue, or there's, there's something, I, I don't want people yeah. to be like, oh, I can't function without my coffee. Cause that means you're using it as a drug to function. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in the degree of, you know, would you recommend someone do that in early sobriety, you know, like 60 days, 90 days into sobriety, or does it just totally depend? That is, Obvi yeah, that's really tricky. I mean, there's never a one size fits all approach for anyone. And if honestly, the most important thing about early sobriety is to stay away from, you know, alcohol or whatever your substance of addiction is. So, you know, I think that there are a lot of caveats in that. I, I do not recommend people cut out a bunch of substances that are really hard, food or drink, that are really hard for them, you know, that, or that they have, you know, kind of issues around all at once. Uh, no, because I went into – what that started to do for me, and I'll be really honest, it started to make me binge eat. I wasn't um, puking it, but I was – remember we talked about this early on, Mary. I was like – I was going – I was just transferring it somewhere else, and it was actually really terrifying. I didn't want to go back into the behavior of binging and purging because I took away coffee. Yeah. Um, and so I think you have to be really delicate with yourself. I think people that try and sure. get a bunch of things at once end up really, really doing more harm than good, and I think it's one of those things. Like, I know that I'll change my relationship with coffee. It's not a priority at this point it's just yeah nice. exactly but um but when I'm ready to I will yeah and, that, and that's a good way to kind of close the conversation I think yeah all right so the next topic up for discussion um is veganism versus vegetarianism versus paleo um this is an interesting topic because I've worked with a couple of individuals that are vegans and 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 ethically you know vegans um and it's an it's a non-negotiable and I would love to I'd love to hear what you think is like the you know like just maybe discuss that like how you how you work with that um whether you recommend veganism as that where vegan whether or not veganism can be done um especially for you know we're talking about our specific demographic and 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 um you know women that are uh removing alcohol from their lives or already have or that have dealt with eating disorders or all sorts of you know things that you that you're an expert in um what what do you what do you say to people that are vegans and vegetarians and, and what do you recommend? Sure. Well, my kind of one answer to that would be that there's never a one size fits all approach to diet for anyone. And this is where things get a little bit more tricky because people in early recovery have different nutritional needs than say, you know, the rest of the population. And after you've been abusing substances, again, whether it's alcohol or drugs, there are often a number of deficiencies that come along with that. And in all my years of doing this, you know, just coming on 12 years of counseling people, I have maybe only encountered people who are doing vegetarianism or veganism right for their bodies, maybe a handful of times. So that's not to say that you can't be vegetarian or vegan in recovery, but there are, not only is it a little bit more challenging to curate a meat-free or vegan diet anyway, but it's definitely an added challenge to curate that well in recovery when your body has a need, a, a much higher need for nutrients because, you know, you're, you're typically using substances instead of food and, you know, alcohol obviously robs the body of a lot of nutrients and prevents absorption of nutrients because it, you know, damages the intestinal lining. So I you know, struggle with this myself because I was a vegetarian for 13 years. And when I started really studying this stuff, I read all of Julia Ross's work. And actually that book, The Diet Cure, was the main one that got me to start eating meat again. Because I, you know, again, after 13 years, I myself was, I was eating a lot of soy products and I was thinking, oh, soy is so healthy, tofu is so healthy. And I started to develop all these hormone issues because of too much estrogen from soy and that's when I was like, wow, okay. So, and I also realized maybe not one diet is right for someone throughout the course of their lives. Your body's needs change all the time in response to whatever's going on, whether it's stress or whether it's an injury or whether it's recovery or childbirth or whatever. So you, what I really like to instill is just this mindfulness aspect. Like I, I understand how hard it is if you ethically and morally, I mean, believe me, like the decision to eat meat again 
really, and it's easy in the Bay Area, right? Because we can go to the farm and know our farmer and, and get really sustainable meat, which is what I, you know, what was important to me. But, um, but you kind of really like what my point is, is that in this mindfulness aspect, you, you know, even though your ethics and morality say one thing, it may not mirror what your body's needs are. How many, that's a tough one. How many people do you like percentage wise, just roughly are doing veganism or or vegetarianism on a, on ethical issue? Is it like half or more or less? It's way, it's more. Yeah. Okay. Almost everyone that I have worked with is a vegetarian or vegan because of ethics, because of the environment. And, and I read stuff about this all the time and they're, is a vicious debate going on between, you know, vegetarianism and, and or vegetarians and vegans and meat eaters about which is more sustainable for the planet. And, yeah. you know, there's new research and new arguments coming out on that all the time, but almost everyone, and I understand that, you know, the same was for me, but they're, they're all doing it mostly for ethical reasons and, you know, moral reasons and environmental reasons. Yeah. Okay. Have you heard of, so one of my favorite books is Jonathan Safran Farr's um, Eating Animals. Mm-hmm. And he and it was it's a wonderful book. And then also the organization that he refers to it, like I was when I read it, um, it got me to completely change my diet. And then I started buying heritage chicken um, and eating like, you know, meat that I knew was um, I mean, meat that I knew where it was coming from and also meat that hadn't you know been um, genetically modified and all sorts of stuff. Um, and he referred me to a really gr- or he talks about a really great organization. It's called Farm Forward. Um, do you, when you are working, I mean, when, what, what is the way, if you're, if you're going to eat sustainably from your point of view, what is the way to do it? So you mean just in general, or if you're a vegetarian or vegan? Like if you are, if you're a vegetarian, well, either, either way, if you're eating meat, if, you know, if you're a vegetarian, vegan, what is like, what's the responsible thing to do? Um, how do you help people find, um, like, how do you promote, you know, I guess, um, sustainable eating? Yeah. Uh, usually, you know, people are always asking me, should I eat organic? What should I eat organic? And obviously we're all in a budget, but I, I do have really strong opinions about eating organic or free range meat or even just local, locally raised where you know how it's raised because, uh, you know, honestly from even an animal husbandry standpoint, factory farming is one of the most horrifying things if you do research and look into it and just the amount of you know, weight, environmental waste that it produces, it's leaking into our groundwater and the hormones and antibiotics they inject into animals and you're eating that and it's causing, you know, massive hormone fluctuations in people. You know, there's so many estrogens that are present in these meats that are called, you know, xenoestrogens. That means these environmental estrogens that are, you know, creating these massive hormone imbalances and giving men boobs. You know, there's this like gynecomastia because of, of all of these estrogenic pollutants in our society. So that's really my bottom line is, you know, in terms of how you're going to eat sustainably and organically, if you do eat meat, to me, it's almost a non-negotiable as much as possible, like with what you buy. I mean, obviously we're going out to eat and, and enjoying our lives and we're not going to be eating organic meat at every single meal potentially, but the more that you can, you know, seek it out wherever you are. And there are even websites you can order it if you're not in an easy, accessible area, you know, near a farmer's market or, you know, some kind of natural food store. But just, you know, getting the free range meats, free range eggs, organic as much as possible with any kind of meat you're eating and wild fish, that's kind of the bottom line. And then, you know, kind of with vegetables, you can be a little bit, and fruit, you can be a little bit more lenient, you know, with things with peels, you don't need to buy organic and you can look up the dirty dozen list to see which are the most heavily sprayed crops. But, but that's kind of the, uh, the short answer to that. Uh, that's, I'm, <laughs> I feel like we, we could talk for three hours. I have so many questions about that, but, um, well, do you have like a resource that you, do you have a book that you would recommend? Yeah. Uh, besides your website because I know you discuss stuff like this on your website um but like maybe a starter you know get acquainted with what all of this is there is there's a a website called sustainabletable.org that gives you kind of it's a nonprofit organization I believe and it helps people understand kind of 
what the problems with our food supply are, is, are, and I think there are resources even how to get um, sustainable, like what, what are sustainable options in your area, I'm pretty sure. So that's okay. one good resource. Um, and then the Food Matters website is pretty good too. And, you know, there's tons of these documentaries like Forks Over Knives and and, you know, a lot of kind of film out there and Michael Pollan's books, you know, they do a pretty good job of kind of explaining this stuff. But that's off the top of my head. This, I remember the Sustainable website is a pretty good one. Great. All right. So then the last thing we want to talk about is just um, giving listeners a couple of good resolutions they can incorporate into their New Year's resolutions um, or whatever. I mean, I'm not necessarily a fan of New Year's <laughs> resolutions. But it's a thing. Um, what can people do to some simple things, lifestyle modifications, diet modifications, people can do to support uh, support sobriety and recovery? Yeah. Um, also, really quickly with resolutions, because I kind of hate resolutions too, but yeah. with goal setting, so obviously the first of the year, people want to make these great changes, which is good. But I, one thing that I have found to be really helpful if you're going to make a goal for anything is rather than just like making a list of all your goals, just pick, you know, your three goals and then write them out, but also write how you're going to achieve them. So you might be wanting, like, I want to run a half marathon or I want to lose weight. Okay, great. But then under that, write three ways to do that. Like I'm going to join my runner's club or, or whatever. How are you going to actually reach that goal. And then that puts you in motion to kind of manifest it. You're already kind of creating ways around how you're going to reach that goal and sort of planting that seed in there. So that's kind of an aside note on, you know, how to make any change. I think that's really useful. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's also like, I want to, I want to say this too, because I think food, any, most of the women who struggle with addiction issues, uh, alcohol addiction, in my experience, also struggle with food to some degree. At And I think most women struggle with food issues at some point in their lives, regardless. Yeah. Um, so for me, when I, I know part of my block in dealing with or facing food and nutrition and is so tied to my body and eating disorders that I've had in the past. And so I think that once I start to put rules around it, I my brain starts to shut down because I don't want to go there. You know, I don't yeah. want to go back. I don't want to go back there. So I think I know that you get that. And I know that you work with a lot of people who have, you said disordered eating, which I really like as a phrase. Um, so I, if you can just touch on that too, a little bit as you, as you say these things, because I think what we're trying to do here is give people a little bit of a little um, taste of tools that they that you can work with and not to make it overwhelming. And you don't have to like wholesale clean out your diet and you don't have to like there are ways to do this that are not um, that you're like you're not doing it all wrong. There are ways to to approach this that are like scalable, maybe or sure sustainable and you know and it can be it doesn't have to be something like you have to cut out all sugar right now or you have to cut out you know it, it doesn't have to be overwhelming which to me I put it in the category of overwhelming yeah and that's a really good point because especially working with people in recovery I treat those cases entirely different than I would you know any other case in my practice that I'm working with and the reason is because I have people in recovery always add things in before taking things out. And so that is a really important distinction because people look at nutrition or nutritionists or, or whatever as all of a sudden there's a lot of fear around it. Like, what is she going to make me give up? What do I have to give up? And right. it kind and you of already feel like you've given everything up or <laughs> yeah. at least right. one thing that it was, you know, the most dear to you that you, that you already hated to give up. So what else right. are you going to have to do? Right. And yeah. And there's a lot of fear around she's going to make me eat really funny things or we we've all grown up in this era of this paradigm with diet being like low fat or yeah. or Jenny Craig or weight watchers like this course or of, no carbs. Yeah, it's like this franken food thing where we're we're going to be eating like this freeze-dried diet and you know people what I the short answer I always say is it's just eat real food basically you know and and this is a lifetime sustainable thing it's not like something you're going on and then going off of but 
Um, but just, you know, to preface all this, kind of what we were touching on earlier, you know, I, the, the difference here with people who are, you know, struggling to get sober, who, who already are, is that we all have that brain chemistry imbalance that's a little bit different from, you know, someone who doesn't have those compulsions or doesn't have an addictive personality. And so, you know, there are a number of physiological reasons why you seek those substances outside of yourself. And that can be food or drugs or alcohol or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a twofold process where you want to, you know, nourish your body and you also want to nourish those parts that might be deficient, you know, the brain chemistry and the blood sugar. So without, you know, again, I could talk for hours about that too, but no, but, it's important. yeah, it's important. yeah, but, and, and the reason I say that is because this is something that I really want everyone to hear is that none of this is an issue of willpower. And that is really important because people often feel like I can't do this or I don't, I'm not strong enough. I don't have the willpower to quit drinking or to avoid foods. But well, if you understand, you. yeah, I mean, if you understand it's not because you're not a strong person, it's because literally there is a physiological imbalance that is driving you to have six drinks when your neighbor just has one glass of wine and is fine. You know, you can't stop because all of a sudden your brain is going, oh my God, thank God, I finally have this relaxing, you know, chemical that's, that's allowing me to release more serotonin or GABA or whatever it is that is suddenly calming me down for the first time in my life, you know, and other people's brains are producing those chemicals naturally and maybe yours isn't. So my point in all of that is... Same thing with food though, right? Same things happen with food. Absolutely. And so that sugar does that, caffeine does that, you know, it it causes the serotonin surge and it, you know, and and people who are drawn to alcohol and drawn to binge drinking, you know, we often think of alcoholism as kind of a sugar disorder. And people who are hypoglycemic or have hypoglycemic tendencies or, um, or just are drawn to that that rush, all of a sudden they, they get that blood sugar balancing and they get that, it releases, you know, the calming neurotransmitter GABA and serotonin, same as just plain sugar does in the brain. Okay. So, so with that, you know, physiological piece aside, um, so the three tips, and I have a bonus tip too, but, you know, and, or, and this is in early sobriety or for people who are trying to quit drinking. The first one I was talking about, you know, adding things in, and it, this is super simple, is just try to eat real food whenever possible. And so that means, you know, the most that you can minimize packaged or processed foods, you know, and just try to choose real whole foods. And that just means, you know, things that haven't been, if you're looking at labels on foods, things that aren't, you know, don't have a label list a mile long with shit that you can't pronounce in it. Or, you know, like we call them sort of skeletonized foods, like a lot of refined carbohydrates, like white flour. And the reason here is, because, you know, again, I was saying earlier, there's a lot of deficiencies with people who've been abusing alcohol, especially, you know, that it robs the body of B vitamins and zinc and minerals and fatty acids and creates, you know, this malabsorption effect. That means that you're not really absorbing all the nutrients even in your food that you're eating. And so if you're eating a lot of refined or processed foods, and that's like, you know, chips or candy and bagels and cereal and all of those foods that are really tasty, you know, because... They're sort of engineered to taste good and drive you to eat them. But those are foods that have been stripped of their nutrients and had, you know, kind of fake sugars or flour or whatever added to them. And they're, those are the foods that kind of don't necessarily provide you with any nutrition. And your body is constantly craving more and more and more because you're not getting the nutrient needs filled. And so, you know, that even in and of itself triggers more kind of binge behavior around, you know, those specific refined. So I was going to ask and then go to, go to the next tip, but I want, is it, is having the, and this seems like an obvious question. I think I know your answer, but I want to hear it is having your, you know, having the right um, amount of, of B vitamin and fatty acids and, and your hormone levels basically normalized help you to stay. So I help you to make your cravings for alcohol minimized or does it just help you to stay sober? I mean, all things, all other things being equal, is it going to help in sobriety? Is it going to help you feel more stabilized? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I also, you know, recommend taking a multi to kind of fill in the nutritional gaps. And there are, you know, there are a lot of supplements that can really help in early recovery. And again, we kind of talk about that more 
in hip sobriety school and, yep. and it, you know, it's, there's a lot of detail around that, but the, is if you can manage, you know, just a few basic things in sobriety and early sobriety, just physiologically with your diet, then absolutely that will help minimize cravings for both alcohol and sweets. And, you know, we'll talk about a couple more of those, but yeah. But- and I want to point one thing out here. Like one of the bigger things I think like that I struggle with a lot is blood, blood sugar maintenance. And there is like, Mary's talked about this before, but when, you know, just blood sugar alone, not even, you know, take, like, taking aside like the hormonal stuff or the neurotransmitter, like just blood sugar alone. If your blood sugar is spiking and dropping, you don't feel good when your blood sugar drops. You don't, or you don't feel good no. when your when your blood sugar is actually off the charts. And so you reach for something outside of yourself to normalize that. That's when you tend to reach for substances that are really bad for you. That's when you tend to reach for a glass of wine in order to um, in order to repair that deficiency, that feeling that you that something's amiss or something off. Discomfort. Yeah. Yes. And so right. it's huge. Like stabilizing blood sugar alone, just that alone is huge in helping you um, you know, in in all in all points along the path in sobriety. Which would you agree, Mary? Well, yes, which brings me to spoiler alert. Tip oh, two damn. Is blood sugar support. <laughs> but yeah, um, I actually, I, but I want to tell a quick story about you that you told me once. And this is really profound. You said you were out like Christmas shopping or something with your mom and you were absolutely about to have a meltdown. And I think you even said it was like three or four in the afternoon, which is kind of like the witching hour. That's yeah. like yeah. the 3 p.m. crash. And people who have uh, very noticeable sugar sensitivities or blood sugar hypoglycemic issues tend to get really like a 3 p.m. crash where they're either falling asleep or they're like really hangry. I call it like hungry and angry. Yeah. But you said that you ha- you like dragged your mom into a bar or something and you had to have a glass of wine <laughs> and you have a glass of wine and then you were like, I felt great. And I was is- about to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> I told her it was for her health. Yeah, but that's that, real, man. I God, that's an I, absolute like that is the perfect illustration of someone who has that blood sugar support issue. I mean, and who knows? You'd probably had like I was a PMSing too, of, and I was yeah, and a bunch of coffee for breakfast or something. Yep. Maybe you're having like you know a blood sugar crash. But but th- that is a really profound illustration, kind of to me, because it 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 is really illustrative of how just <laughs> drinking a glass of wine immediately balances your blood sugar. Not in the best way, but it's giving you the sugar hit. You're, and then you're like, ah. Oh, you I know. told her. I mean, I was just like, see, afterwards, because I was like, I was like gleeful. <laughs> I went from psycho to totally happy. And then we had the best day ever. Oh, my God. Anyway, okay. So, that, yeah, that was my second tip is, and this is, you know, vitally important. This is should be like the number one tip that anyone takes from this show is is the blood sugar support right and there are you know so many things that we could talk about about how to make that work but just a few takeaways on what that means you know is that we all have you know blood glucose levels and when your your goal is to keep them pretty steady during the day and when you have these spikes and crashes in blood sugar that means that you go from like you know feeling okay to feeling psychotic to feeling tired to feeling happy i mean if that sounds like you if you're irritable or you have massive mood swings or crashes you know energy crashes during the day where you're like high and then crashing and then you get a second wind or you have sugar cravings or you can't stop thinking about what you're going to eat next those are all signs that you're you know not managing blood sugar well so the, the three really good things that you can do for blood sugar support and the most vitally important one really is eat in regular intervals. So don't skip meals. Don't go like seven hours without eating. Don't let yourself get to that hangry, you know, where you're going to kill someone or your mother. And <laughs> so th- just that's one thing, like eat breakfast at eight, eat lunch at noon, have a small snack at three, eat dinner at seven, you know, try to keep your blood sugar stable by eating regularly. And then almost as important is breakfast. You know, don't skip breakfast in favor of coffee, thinking that you're, you know, saving up calories so you can have a big lunch and dinner. And don't, you know, hopefully try to avoid a sugary breakfast and just kind of get, you know, really, even if you don't have time, you know, make a smoothie and cram it with a bunch of, you know, fruit and almond butter and coconut milk and a handful of spinach or get some eggs and vegetables or, you know, something that, I have a ton of resources on my website. You can just search for even like breakfast and you'll come up with a bunch of really quick, easy things. But, you know, first thing in the morning within an hour of waking, just getting something that will set your blood sugar up for good, you know, stable levels during the day. Um, And then really the third kind of other blood sugar support is just to get some 
really good fats. And this is especially helpful for women because fats are the precursors to our hormones. So, and again, you know, there's a huge hormonal component that goes along with people in recovery too. You know, oftentimes there are hormonal imbalances that people feel much better, you know, dropping hormone levels, especially during PMS. People find that they really crave wine, especially for some reason it's always wine, but wine during PMS. And that's, you know, because your estrogen and progesterone are dropping. You need your, again, your body's like, God, give me anything so that I can at least feel a little better, you know? So that that's the point. You can kind of biohack your way into feeling good by just knowing, you know, okay, which foods do I need at which times of the month or even times of the day, you know, that it, it's really profound actually once, and there's so much to learn about this stuff that you can really, you know, use food in a medicinal way, uh, you know, to, to get through the day or even at certain times in your cycle. Yeah, that's awesome because I, I, I think, uh, I think we also, it's like for me changing what I thought would be my fix for PMS or my fix for my mood to, from wine to some, which just, which works and then really doesn't work. And then, um, you know, eating a bunch of sugar or a bunch of chocolate or a bunch of, you know, whatever I think my body is craving to fix myself and like realizing that other foods actually do the trick and, and way better and don't, oh, yeah. d- and don't like, you know, cost me a, a big price um, <laughs> emotionally or whatever. And chocolate, honestly, dark chocolate is awesome. It's so good for you and it makes you feel good. And it also kind of releases good, feel good chemicals. Um, what so per- yeah, what percentage of dark chocolate is it? Is it eighty or seventy? Well, they say like seventy and above, and definitely, you know, dark. You want to go for dark chocolate over milk chocolate, um, and it's really easy to get really good quality dark chocolate out there these days. But it's yeah, it's like a total superfood, and it's really good for you and super tasty. It is. I love you for saying <laughs> that. <laughs> oh yes, it is a medicinal food. Awesome. So that was the second one or the third one? That was the second. Oh, that was the second. Okay. So the third and talking about adding foods in is, you know, we kind of want to think about adding in liver supportive foods and drinks and sort of, I was talking earlier about kind of flooding your body with nutrients and think about, you know, when you're kind of depleted and you're, you're basically in recovery, that means your body is recovering. You know, you're recovering mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, so th- and this is, you know, talking about adding foods back in that you may have been missing. So especially with liver support, that's really important. You know, the, your poor liver is so overworked trying to filter all of the toxins in our, you know, everything that you apply to your skin and eat and breathe, you know, walking around in an urban environment, everything has to be detoxed by your liver. And then if you're adding on that, you know, like pharmaceutical drugs or alcohol, especially, you know, and your liver is overtaxed. Your liver is also in charge of metabolizing all of your hormones, you know, estrogens, progesterone. So anything that you can do for liver support, you know, after your liver is kind of taking a beating will just, you know, help cleanse your system and help that'll even help hormone balance as well. So, um, and eat kind of easy tricks for that or hot water with lemon in the morning. That's a really great one. Yeah, that I love that one. It's super cleansing. It's great for your skin and it's really alkalizing. Uh, add, even add some turmeric, you know, if you've heard anything about turmeric, which seems to be all over the place lately for some reason. It but does, yeah. Is it just me? I mean, it's no, all, it is. I, turmeric I've been is like everyone. blowing up. <laughs> yeah. It's the new, it's the new it. it <laughs> uh, but but it, it, I love it. I love those little drinks from Whole Foods. Oh, yeah, the, the little turmeric elixirs or whatever they are. Yeah, I do. I go – I put hot – not hot. I put cayenne pepper, lemon, hot water, and turmeric um, in my little brew, and it's delicious. Damn. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and turmeric, it's it's just – it's got so many benefits. I mean, it's cancer-protective and antioxidant-rich, really great for your liver, really cleansing. So that's another great one. Add some turmeric to your hot water with lemon, and then you – two birds with one stone. Um, and then the cruciferous vegetables. Those are like kale and broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. Those are really amazing. And beets, carrots. Um, oh, avocado. Avocado is a great one because it's a, one of the richest plant sources of glutathione, which is this really liver protective antioxidant. 
So, you know, and avocados are also great for women because of the good fats, you know, help you build healthy hormones and it's really good for your, the lipids in your skin. Uh, and then allium. Delicious. Oh yeah. So <laughs> My boyfriend has this theory that every woman loves avocado and pumpkin. <laughs> I don't, the avocado I can see, but I don't know. I'm not a, I can't. Women, uh, women love their pumpkin spice, man. I actually I mean, do love pumpkin spice. I don't know, yeah. but, but I don't like pumpkin pie. I think that's oh, disgusting. Oh my what? god! Oh, yeah, what? Disgusting! Please, uh-huh. no. It's like heaven, God, pumpkin pies. I eat- Why? What is up with you people that like pumpkin? It's like gelatinous pumpkin. No, no it's-, it's not. Yes, it is. Spicy. It just tastes like like a warm blanket or something. Perfect. It's Ugh. <laughs> okay. It's so gross. Um, so anyway, so again, there, I have a whole, I think, blog post on liver supportive foods and herbs and, and even like green tea, green tea has got some incredible, um, antioxidant and liver benefits. So, uh, oh, juicing even, you know, doing Mm -hmm. green vegetable juices. That's a really easy way to just get like tons of antioxidants, vitamins and minerals, especially and minerals tend to be depleted very quickly in people who are under stress and you know think about if you're if you haven't been uh eating well and if you're feeling stressed out you know your body is burning through minerals because they're needed for every enzymatic reaction that's happening you know several whatever million a second so um getting you know all of these foods that i just mentioned too like the cruciferous and root vegetables like beets and carrots and all of those are really high in minerals but green juices are super high in minerals that are so lacking in a lot of our diets so a lot of those green juices just by virtue of what they have in them have um some amazing liver detoxing vegetables in them and um and and tons of minerals too so that's a really easy way to kind of infuse your body with nutrients too Awesome. That's awesome. So those are the three. And then I have a bonus. (laughs) Bonus, bonus. bonus. (laughs) So bonus tips. So that we were talking about, you know, eat real food, blood sugar support, liver supportive foods, and liver detox foods and drinks. But the the one thing I also really want to stress, and again, we go way into this, and Holly, you talk about this a lot in hip sobriety school, but is sleep. So sleep is, and people are always asking me, when I'm a podcast guest or just in real life all the time, what is the one thing you can do to improve your health? And I always say sleep, like without a doubt. That is the easy, cheap one way that you can help balance hormones and just recover. That is the only time your body is really in repair and rejuvenative mode in a deep way, you know, and, and that's when, you know, all of these hormonal reactions are triggered by dark, you know, melatonin production, which is this really powerful antioxidant and and that's the one time your body is just really scavenging for abnormal cells and destroying them and, you know, you're detoxing more at night. So, and it just yeah. makes you feel better. You know, even if you need naps during the day, just sleep as much as your body, you know, Tells wants you to. to. Yeah. 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 Which every mom out there right now wants to like punch you in the <laughs> face for saying that because they can't sleep as much as they want to. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but to, to to say how you know for me when I was drinking I and not just me this is everybody your sleep is is robbed right because uh, yeah. you're it feels like you're passing out or whatever but it ruins your sleep and so it's you know it's adding that that difficulty onto onto everything else um so is there anything you can say though about you know okay if you're a mom you know like I I know one person right now is um, probably poking her eyes out because she uh, is a good friend of mine who listens and she has three young kids and she she can't you know she can't sleep nine hours a night it's just not going to happen so what is there are there things though that can promote better sleep aside from not drinking like what do you recommend and I know there are things but what are they like what are your favorites okay well some easy ones if you're and and this is and for new moms especially or for people that have a bunch of kids they usually have more of a like go to bed at nine and get up at five or whatever type schedule in, in my experience. But then, you know, they often get woken up during the middle of the night. But, uh, at, so at night I was talking about minerals earlier and magnesium and calcium tend to be these really, and a lot of people are deficient in magnesium and especially people who have been drinking. So 
because it's one of the first minerals we lose under stress. And one of the ones that's vitally important to everything from like being able to poop well to being able to relax. So there's this uh, magnesium calcium kind of drink out there called natural calm that you can take like a teaspoon of it and mix it in with some hot water before you go to bed. And it really relaxes your central nervous system. And magnesium is really powerful for just like dilating blood vessels, for reducing blood pressure, for like calming the sympathetic nervous system, which is often in overdrive when you're stressed and kind of balancing parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. So, you know, there's a lot of those at night that you can do. You can do those kind of calming teas. But in terms of nutrients, like even 5-HTP, you know, which is the precursor to serotonin, there are a bunch of really good kind of sleep supplements out there that and serotonin happens to be a big deficiency in anyone with kind of addictive tendencies. So that can really help. Um, awesome. And then, yeah, that, again, there, uh, there's another one, GABA, using GABA at night or even passion flower, which helps increase GABA in the brain. I tell people to keep that. You can get a really inexpensive tincture of passion flower and just keep it next to your bed. And if you wake up throughout the night, which is really common, again, people kind of tend to wake up at you know, between 2 and 4 a.m. if your blood sugar is skewed or if you have kind of yeah. adrenal fatigue, keep that passion flower next to your bed and try, you know, squirting a dropper full on your tongue. And sometimes it, you know, can really be helpful for falling right back asleep. I found especially that seems to work really well for premenopausal or I'm, I'm sorry, people, perimenopausal women who are just in, entering into menopause. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to, I have like three friends that I'm going to tell about that. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the, the sleep thing is super tricky. That's probably the, the one, one of the, the biggest, you know, complaints I hear from people is just insomnia. Like I can't sleep and they want to be getting sleep. And there are a lot of ways that you can foster restful sleep. But I mean, obviously it goes way beyond what we can talk about here. And again, I have, there are tons of sleep hygiene tips on my website, but that is the one thing that I really work hard with people is like teaching them how to sleep well and creating a sleep ritual and good sleep hygiene tips and, you know, things you can even eat during the day and take before bed. And, you know, all of that, um, is like just vitally important for getting restful sleep. Yeah. She gives me a great idea. We should do, well, anyways, we can talk about it later, but I have a good idea, Mary. (laughs) Teaser. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. This is so great. This is so good. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I feel like I'm always rambling on so much about this stuff because I love talking about it. So <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's so good and incredibly helpful. And so Mary, um, I think that's it. Mary, the Mary's actually part of hip sobriety school. So she's, um, she's, do, she's done it in the past. She's going to be back again this year and to teach it a Yay. longer, an entire module on how to use nutrition and lifestyle in order to support recovery. Um, but she is she's got a wealth of information on her blog, which is www. Did I say three W's? Whatever. We know. Mary Vance. <laughs> that's M A R Y V A N C E dot N C for nutritional consultant. Uh, dot no com. dot. No? Oh God. Mary Vance N C dot com. Okay. Correct. And yeah. um no, she and she has a great newsletter and she sends about I think about she posts about once a week and sends about once a week and her blogs are just they're epic. They're really long. They always are oh, linking thanks. to other um, wonderful resources that she has within her own um, website and I, I mean just she's she's a wealth of information and then also um, she's got podcasts on her website that are great to listen to but uh, she's she's wonderful so Mary thank you so much for doing yes, this and thank, thank you, you for telling us about vaginal steaming um, <laughs> thanks so for having important. me yes. <laughs> maybe yeah, we'll do an episode on that in 2016 mm-hmm We'll talk okay. about the yoni, but no. Um, the yoni episode. Yoni. That's a new favorite word. I've never heard it. You, can, uh, you, you haven't? Also, no. Really? The, what do you, you haven't read it? about the, the yoni I in the I call it a vagina. I don't know. I call it a vagina. You don't have another a, word? My mom used to call it a hoo-ha. Yeah, um, hoo-ha, right? Yeah, but I just go. We I, call it a genie in my house. A genie? Oh, my God. Yeah. That is awesome. I've never heard that. Genie? <laughs> That's way more fun. We were very clinical in my house, so everything was called by its normal anatomical name. So vagina. Yeah. Yeah, which is like it just takes all the magic out of it. Uh, right. I, I call think it it's, a, I think vagina, vagina with my daughter magical. when I'm when I'm being serious about it. Like you need sure. to clean your vagina. Yeah. But when you know when you tell your daughter mother. to clean her vagina. 
I mean, you yes. gotta teach everything. You, know, you oh. haven't had kids yet, and you don't understand what a problem that is. Like, basically, um, training is wild, small things that have no training. You have to be very specific about. Yes. Yeah, yeah like you need time. to get in there and and clean that. Um, and then when we're talking <laughs> about so it in other ways, we call it a we call it a genie. So yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh my god. Feel free to use it. I'm totally going to use that. <laughs> have to use your menstrual cup for your genie. Oh my god, that is so amazing. <laughs> but all I'm thinking about is Aladdin. I when know. I say that. I'm thinking of a big so blue many, masculine thing. So many places you could go with that. It's just great. It is great. It adds a little magic into it. But a very Certainly. <laughs> into a magical. Um, okay. So, yeah. I think that's it. Well, thanks, ladies. On that note... This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks. Bye. Bye. If Mary actually knows the girls, she can stay on for our end of chat. Uh, was that good? Did you like it? Infinitely. Yeah. So Yes, yeah.